Hare Krishna, good morning everyone. It's a rainy day in Dallas, Texas. You don't know how to appreciate rain until you come to Dallas. We're going to be talking today about the uh, elements of creation, and rainfall is certainly one of those that we learn to appreciate very much when we come from another climate into the relatively arid climate of Dallas. So it's a pleasure to have everyone with us. Sam, did you ride in the rain this morning? That's good. Anyhow, I'm glad you made it because I didn't think you would make it. Sam has been attending class here, Mongol Artican class, quite a few years. He's gotten to be a regular fixture here in our temple. We're pleased to have you here. This morning we're going to be continuing our reading in the 12th canto. We're nearing the end of this canto. We're in chapter 11, more than halfway through this canto, which will end the recitation of the Srimad Bhagavatam. For the first time in my memory, we've gone all the way from Canto 1 through Canto 12. In the past, we've gone up to Canto 9, and we stopped at the end of Canto 9 and gone back to Canto 1. But this time, for some reason or other, the decision was made to go ahead and and read the tenth canto, which is the intimate pastimes of the Supreme Lord with his uh, Gopi and Gopa friends. So we're now in the twelfth canto. This canto is entitled Summary Description of the Maha Purusha. And it's not exactly an easy thing to get through, but then a lot of the Srimad Bhagavatam is not easy, but it's possible due to the grace of his, uh, due to the mercy of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So before we begin today's discussion, we will invoke the blessings in the presence of the Supreme Lord. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hare Sing loud. Jaya Radha Mahadava Kunjabi Hare Gopi Janavalla Bhagiri Gopi Janavala Bhagavadhari Yashuranandana Brajajanadanjana Jashuranandana Prajajana Ranjana 
Chamunachidabanachari Yamunatidavanachari Jayuradhamadhava Kundyabihari Jai Gaur Premananda Hari Hari Go Jai Om Vishnupada Paramahamsa Padipitaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Shri Srimada's Divine Grace Abhaya Chananadavinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Om Vishnupada Paramahamsa Padipitaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Shri Srimada's Divine Grace Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Gosami Maharashi La Prabhupada Ki Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Iskan BBT Foundra Charge Shri La Prabhupada Ki Iskan Guru Parampara Ki Shri Rupa Shri Sanatan Bhattaraganat Shri Jeeva Gopal Bhattadasaraganat Sadko Sami Prabhu Ki Nama Charge Shri La Haridas Takura Ki Prem Sekho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasari Gora Bhakta Rindaki Sri Sri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopinath Shamakun Radha Kund Giti Govardhan Ki Sri Vrindavan Dham Ki Sri Mathura Dham Ki Sri Jagannath Puri Dham Ki Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji Dham Ki Ganga Devi Ki Yamuna Mai Ki, Tulsi Devi Ki, Bhakti Devi Ki, Sambhaveda Bhakta Vrinda Ki, Brihat Madanga, Transcendental Book and Prasadam Distribution Ki, Nitai Gaura Premananda, Hari Hari Bol, all glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna, all glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna, all glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Ay, Shil Gurudev, Shil Prabhupada. Namo Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Pastaya, Bhutale, Shambhati Bhakti Vedanta, Swaminiti Namade, Namaste, Saraswati Devi, Gaurabhati Pachani, Nivisheshashin, Vibhari Pastatya Deshitani. Thank you, Shachi Gopal, for playing Vedanga so nicely. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanarottamam Devim Saraswatim Yasun Tadu Jayam Udirayad Nasta Preso Bandresu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yutamashloke Bhakti Bhavadi Nastiki Antarashimat Bhagavatam Ki Jai
We're reading today in Canto 12, Chapter 11 of the Maha, of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And we're going to focus today on text number 6 through 8. So those of you who have your Bhagavatams available and close at hand, please turn to that page, Canto 12, Chapter 11, text number 6 through 8. And uh, the text number 6 is on our bulletin board, on our whiteboard, so we will begin by chanting. Let's, let's do line by line chanting. Etadvai parusham rupam Bhupado dyaushiro nabha Nabhi suryo shini nase Vayu karnaudisha prabho Etadvai paurasham rupam Bhupado dyaushiro nabha Nabhi suryo chini nase Vayu karnaudisha prabho Want to try that? Etadvai paurusham rupam Bhupado dyaushiro nabha Nabhishuryo shini nase Ayu Karno Disha Prabhu Etadvai Parusham Rupam Bhupato Dyon Shiro Nabha Nabhi Suryo Kini Nase Vayu Karno Disha Prabhu. Very good, man. I will I will read text number seven and text number eight, and we will not be repeating that since you don't have the text in front of you. Text number seven. Prajapati Prajananam Apano Mrityur Ishitu Tadbhavu Lukapala Manas Chandro Bruvau Yama And text number eight Lajo Taro Taro Lopo Danta Jotsna Maya Mayo Brahma Romani Bruhad Bumno Begha Purusha Mudhyaja. 
So let's repeat the, uh, the Sanskrit words. We'll repeat the words for all three of the texts that we're in and the translations. Etat this by indeed Purusham of the Virat Purusha Rupam the form Bhu the earth Pado his feet, Dyo, heaven, Shira, his head, Nabha, the sky, Nabhi, his navel, Surya, the sun, Akchini, his eyes, Nase, his nostrils, Vayu, the air, Karnao, his ears, Disha, the directions, Prabho, of the Supreme Lord, Prajapati, the demigod of procreation, Prajananam, his genitals, Apana, his anus, Mrityu, Death, Ishtu, of the Absolute Controller, <clears throat> Tat Bahava, his many arms, Loka Pala, the presiding demigods of the various planets, Mana, his mind, Chandra, the moon, Bruvo, his eyebrows, Yama, the god of death, Laja, shame, Uttara, his upper lip, Adhara, his lower lip, Lobha, greed, Danta, his teeth, Jochna, the light of the moon, Smaya, his smile, Brahma, delusion, Romani, the hairs of the body, Buruha, the trees, Bhumna, of the mighty Lord, Mega, the clouds, Purusha, of the Virat Purusha, Mudhaja, the hairs upon the head. Translation of all three verses by the disciples of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Kijai. This is the representation of the Supreme Lord as the universal person in which the earth is His feet, the sky His navel, the sun, his eyes, the wind, his nostrils, the demigod of procreation, his genitals, death, his anus, and the moon, his mind. The heavenly planets are his head, the directions, his ears, and the demigods protecting the various planets, his many arms. The, uh, the, the god of death is his eyebrows, shame, his lower lip, 
greed, his upper lip, delusion, his smile, and moonshine, his teeth, while the trees are the almighty Purusha's bodily hairs, and the clouds the hair on his head. Report by his uh, disciples of his divine grace. This is a very short report. Various aspects of material creation, such as the earth, the sun, and the trees, are sustained by the various limbs of the universal body of the Lord. Thus they are considered non-different from him, as described in this verse, which is meant for meditation. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakchurun Militam Jena Tasmai Shri Gurave Nama Shri Chaitanya Marobishtam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupahakada Maya Dadati Swavarantikam Bandeham Shri Guru Shri Dutta Patakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavam Scha Shri Rupam Sagradattam Sahagana Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitam Scha He Krishna Karunasando Dinabando Jagapade Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Taptakan Chanagorangi Radhe Brindavadeshwadi Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vantikalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhu Vyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namah Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shivasari Gora Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Shishi Vadha Kalachandi Ki Jai. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale, Srimate Tamal Krishna Goswaminiti Namane. So, what do you do with a verse like this, Shakshi Gopal? Let's read the translation again. This is a representation of the Supreme Lord as the universal person in which the earth is his feet, the sky his navel, the sun his eyes, the wind his nostrils, the demigod appropriation his genitals, death his anus, and the moon his mind. The heavenly planets are his head, the directions his ears, and the demigods protecting the various planets, his many arms. The god of death is his eyebrows, shame his lower lip, greed his upper lip, delusion his smile, and moonshine his teeth, while the trees of the almighty Purusha's bodily hairs and the clouds, the hair on his head. And this, this report we should also read once more. Various aspects of material creation, such as the earth, the sun, and the trees, are sustained by the various limbs of the universal body of the Lord. Thus, they are considered non-different from Him, as described in this verse, which is meant for meditation. So, I picked up on this very last 
part of a sentence, this, uh, this verse, which is meant for meditation. Um, there's not a whole lot that I can, that I could, I could think of to say about the text itself and the various representations of the Supreme Lord, the different limbs of the Lord and what they mean. But I did uh, think about this last statement that this text is meant for our meditation. So I wanted to uh, talk about seeing all the aspects of creation as the objects of meditation. So we'll begin with the purposes of the senses. We have to recognize what is the purposes of our senses. One of them is gathering knowledge. We know that all the knowledge that we have about this world around us come to us through our five senses. And some people have only four senses that are functioning. And some people have only three senses that are functioning. So you take a person like the historical character Helen Keller, whom you might have heard about, who was both blind and deaf. So, Sam, we think we have problems with these, dealing with these bodies that we have. But here was a woman who had to learn through the sense of touch. And the lady who taught her, I think her name was Ann Sullivan, and she she used uh, Helen Keller's hand to spell out the word, the letters for the word water, and then she put her hand under the water, and then she touched her hand again to, to spell out the word water, and again put her hand under the water, and Helen Keller suddenly realized for the first time that there are ways that we designate different items of creation. And she learned from Ann Sullivan uh, who, how to, how to uh, recognize when somebody was telling her about water. They simply touched her hand in a certain way to spell out the word water. So each time after that then, Helen Keller became, began to understand that the way she has touched my hand means this stuff that is running over my hand that is providing maybe coolness, and also liquidity. And so she began to make that connection in her mind. And Helen Keller was a very brilliant woman. And we wonder sometimes, Shakshi, what causes a person to have the karma that makes them come into this world both deaf and blind? How are they going to communicate with other people? But you know what? Helen Keller got to the point that not only could she understand what other people were saying by the touching of her hand by someone who knew how to translate spoken words into touch, but not, not only that, but she also learned how to speak the words that she was feeling touched on her hands. So even though she had never heard the words spoken, she could tell, I think Ann Sullivan used, she put her, she put Helen Keller's hand up to her throat and she could feel her throat vibrating as she made different kinds of sounds. And perhaps she put her hand in front of her lips so that Helen Keller could feel the air coming from Helen Keller's, I mean, from Ann Sullivan's breath. So in some way or another, this was, I think the book that talks about Ann Sullivan is called The Miracle Worker. 
So we gather knowledge about this world around us. How do we do that? When we're babies lying in the, in the, in the crib uh, and people, people start talking to us in various ways and then eventually at the age of one year maybe or one and a half, two years, we begin to understand what those sounds in, uh, what they mean, what people are meaning when they say mama, daddy, and you know, and then maybe, and then it goes on to other things. And, and so we learn about things through the language that is used by those persons around us and their observations. And so our entire universe then is created in our minds by the words coming from those persons who are our early mentors, our mothers, our fathers, our grandmothers, grandfathers, uncles, aunts, our friends. We learn different words which are used to designate different things in Krishna's material creation. And there's a lot. There's a lot that has been said. And in this modern age, there have had to be words created for certain things, like the word Internet. That's such a commonplace word nowadays that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it, 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 there, was not, there was not a word for Internet. Why? Because there was no Internet. Yeah, just think about that. Think about that. Can you imagine communicating with your friends nowadays, communicating with your parents, other people using your smartphone now and not knowing what the Internet? No, of course, everybody knows what the Internet means. So we gather knowledge in that way. We see also that our senses provide the the act of movement. You can see a little baby. We have a baby around our house. His name is Luca, and he is Gorongalila's youngest child. He's just about a oh, let's see, six months, seven months old, maybe. And so he's he's kicking his legs, he's waving his hands about, and finally now he has come to the point of realizing that he can, if he if he concentrates on a hand, on his hand, he can reach out and touch something, close his fingers on it, and pull it to him. And what happens after he does that, uh, Shakshi? He starts picking up stuff, and then what does he do with it? Puts it in his mouth. <laughs> Everything for a baby goes to the mouth. You know, regardless. So uh, then a baby has to always be cared for, doesn't he? So even though he's got the same senses that we have, still he's not trained. He hasn't, he hasn't trained his brain uh, what, what, what these senses are intended for. And eventually, you know, then a kid begins to uh, roll over. I noticed this morning uh, Luca has gotten to the point that he can roll over on his stomach very quickly. If you put him down on the floor on his back on top of, a, you know, a cushioned surface so he doesn't hurt himself, then he can just, he flipped over within about one second. Whereas before, you know, he had to make several tries to be able to flip over. And, he, you know, he's gotten to the point now that he can hold his head up by himself and he can look at people and he can see when, when someone is, is familiar to him and a voice is familiar to him, then he can, he can perceive that, oh, this is a nice person. This person treats me nicely. This person makes me smile. And so when he hears a person's voice that he's familiar with, then he starts smiling. And then when he needs something and he's not happy, then he immediately starts to cry. 
because he hasn't learned words yet. And so this is the only way that he knows how to communicate. So our senses, not only do they gather knowledge and they provide movement, but then also when the, when you get to be a little bit older, then they help us to perform some useful work. You know, our mothers or grandmothers, uh, grandfathers, they, they uh, will engage us in doing something that's helpful. Pick up your toys, Shakshi. How many times did you hear that before you got, got to be old enough to know that you put your, put your own stuff away and, and you keep your room organized or your space organized? <clears throat> Sam, they had to tell you that too, then. Your parents telling you, Sam, you need to clean up your room, buddy. Pick that stuff up, put it away. Put, hang those clothes up in the closet. So that's what we call purposeful work. That's doing stuff we don't necessarily like to do it. But we kind of have to do it. And if we want everything to be organized as we get to be later on, if we're around people who are organized, then we learn how how to put certain things in certain places. Like you put your socks in a certain drawer, you put your underwear in a certain drawer, your T-shirts, they go in a certain place, your clothes that you wear on the outside, you you know, you hang them up in the closet so they're not all crumpled and wrinkled up. So this is this is what we call purposeful work. And our senses also allow us enjoyment. And so Krishna has created this whole universe for us and give, put us on this planet. And this planet can provide everything that we need for the enjoyment of our five senses. And we, we come to realize that it's our mind's job to satisfy those senses. For example, if, if we if we want to touch something nice and soft or smooth, or we want to touch a rough surface to see how it feels, then our mind tells us, well, here's something over here that you can touch. Here's a nice blanket. Here's a nice, uh, you know, nice pair of uh, comfortable socks that you can put on, uh, a nice shirt that you can wear. All of these things are nice and soft to the touch. But then time comes when we start needing to use maybe tools that are kind of rough in nature, like like a wire brush, for example. If we need to clean off clean off a piece of metal, or we need to use a metal file to sharpen a lawnmower blade, or to sharpen or use a a, a stone to sharpen our knives. If we carry pocket knives, do you carry a pocket knife, Chuckie? Used to. Yeah, I mean, handy things to have. Those are the tools that we use. But we also use not only for performing work, but we also use them for, for our pleasure. For example, whenever we want something to eat, we have forks and spoons, and then we have knives to cut up things and to make them easier to, to eat. These are the, these are the purposes of our five senses to help us discover the world around us, and also to help us learn what is to be enjoyed in this world. Krishna knows that our part of our nature is just like part of his nature. Sat, chit, ananda. Sat means that we're eternal, just as Krishna is eternal, because we're parts and parcels of Krishna. We're also, uh, we also possess the, the, what's known as chit, C-I-T or C-H-I-T. Chit means knowledge. We gain knowledge, and and so we use our senses not only to uh, learn what what is uh, what these what different things are for, but then there's also what we call anand. This is also part of who we are. Anand means pleasure or sense enjoyment, 
And so Sat Chit Anand, that makes up really the characteristics of, of who we are. So Krishna knows that when we come into this world, we're going to be looking for ways to find pleasure. We're going to be looking for meaningful work to accomplish, uh, mainly to earn a livelihood so that we can have pleasure, right? And, and so that we can help other people as well. So these are the purpose of the senses. Now, uh, we feel it necessary when we become responsible people to honor the elements of creation. For example, we use the earth for various things. The earth we use for uh, planting seeds to grow things uh, so that we can have something nice to eat. Uh, we can use the earth or the stones to help build a structure that we can live in and be comfortable and be free from the weather. And even some some kinds of earth have a lot of iron ore. So uh, human beings have come to understand that if they heat up this iron ore, that the iron will melt and flow off of it at a certain temperature. So they heat that to a certain temperature, and then they produce iron. And all other kinds of metals are produced in this way as well. Brass and copper, silver, uh, mercury, uh, which is which is a liquid metal. In its normal state, it's a liquid metal. And so these things are coming from the earth. Earth has so many purposes that we have to learn about. So we also find out later on, if we're fortunate that the earth can be used to produce objects of worship. Like this brass that we're talking about, many of the objects that we use for worshiping the Supreme Lord here in the temple room or in our homes, at our home temples, are made of brass. And one of the reasons we use brass is that it can be polished up nicely and it looks like gold. And, of course, gold is is said to be the implements that the demigods use in their worship. Because they have a they have a river flowing through some of the heavenly planets, uh, and that river is caused by a mango tree. One of those rivers is caused by the mango tree, and it said that that mango tree uh, is it's in a higher location elevation, and it has fruits on it that are as large as elephants. And when those fruits drop to the ground, they break apart. And the juice comes out of them, and that juice forms a river of mango juice. Can you imagine that? Does that sound pretty good? Does that sound like a place you'd like to be? <laughs> That's in the heavenly planets. And we, we have heard also that, that when that river is flowing, the, the mango juice that, that splashes up on the bank, it dries, and it becomes a type of gold. And so the demigods, all of their implements are made of gold. And once they use a plate that is made of gold, they don't go wash it and put it away in a safe place where nobody steals it. They simply throw it in the dump. Because all the other plates that are going to be used in the future come from this river which produces gold on its banks. So the demigods, you know, this is one of the pleasures that the demigods have. And we we know, of course, that in their worship, they also use implements made of pure gold. Well, now, in this country, in this world that we're in now, gold is considered kind of a rare element. People work really hard 
uh, as we sometimes see programs on television about people who are who are mining for gold up in Alaska, and it's 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 in, it's actually mixing gold flakes of gold are mixed in with the dirt, and so there's a way they use some very expensive machinery to uh, to what they call sluicing a lot of this dirt. They run run it through water and they. And they have a way of collecting all these little particles of gold. And one ounce of gold nowadays is worth something like fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. I'm not sure what the current price is. But one ounce of pure gold on this planet is worth about that much money, fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. And in the heavenly planets, they just toss the gold utensils that they've used for eating off of, they toss them into a pile. <laughs> just like, just as we would our our paper plates and styrofoam cups and things like that, we just we put them in the garden. We don't think anything about them; they're useless to us after we've eaten off of them. We don't want anything to do with them. We want somebody just to come and take them away. So this this particular planet that we're on has a mixture of good and bad, doesn't it? It seems like uh, the manufacturing the manufacturing uh, companies that are used to produce a lot of the things that we use in our daily lives, they also create a huge amount of waste. And some of that waste is toxic in the environment. So uh, even though we get something that is cheap and easy to use like paper plates, there are paper companies like the one I used to work for for a couple of summers and uh, over in the uh, state of Alabama, big paper company, they would they bring in these huge loads of pine trees and they'd have a machine that stripped the bark off the trees and then something else that ground up the, the you know, the substance of the trees into pulp. And they mixed them with various things. And eventually they got a type of pulp that they could press into sheets of paper. And we're not, we're not only talking about the paper that I've written on here, but, uh, you know, things like bathroom tissue and Kleenex, you know, something to blow our nose on. <laughs> and we don't think anything about those things except we have to buy them when we go to the store. But they're very cheap. And, and, and there's a huge industry that creates products like that, cardboard boxes. Everything nowadays that's of any size is usually packed in something that's made of cardboard or heavy plastic or something like that. Plastic coming from the oil industry. And so all of these things are coming, and 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 uh, how much how much reverence do we give to the elements like that? We talked about things that come from the earth, but then we also recognize that water as as our source of of uh, growth necessary for things to grow, and in a very arid climate such as, or semi-arid climate such as Dallas is in. You know, we really learn to appreciate what, although people having to go to work in, in the rain don't much like it, and when it snows a little bit or ice is over in the wintertime, we don't like that either. But, you know, who would give up water just because it's an inconvenience sometimes? So we have to have water for growing things and for cleaning. What would, how, how would we clean things without water? How would we clean our pots and pans and our our plates, our eating plates and spoons and forks and stuff like that. How would we clean our own bodies if we didn't have water? And yet there are places on the planet where there is practically no water or so little that people have, you know, it's a great treasure to have 
drinkable water that they can, you know, that they can drink just to, you know, to satisfy their taste, their thirst, and to cook with. And as far as taking a bath is concerned, they might go for days or weeks or even months without having a complete bath. Now, Shakshi, how do you think you'd make out if you didn't take at least one bath a day? The deodorant business would increase a lot, wouldn't it? <laughs> and so in, instead of instead of becoming clean, even though some people have all this water available to them in modern houses and apartments, and even even in India, you know, you can go and see people that are taking a dunk in the rivers or Maybe they're in a in a uh, village where there's a well kind of situated in the center, and you see people pulling up water from the well in buckets or using a big hand operated pump and pumping water, and 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 they will they will just you know cleanse themselves right there and right out there in the open, because this is the only way they have to do it. And yet in our country and in other Western countries, a lot of people don't even bother to take a bath even once a day. Maybe they'll go for two or three days or four days. My son, uh, my son Indra, you might know, uh, he, he went for a long hike about a year ago, and he was on what's called the Pacific Crest Trail. And that trail is 2,660 miles long, 2,660 miles. He walked the entire length of that. And the, one, one, of the, <laughs> one of the features was, that, you know, it takes really careful planning and takes getting your body into really good condition to make such a trek as that. But one of the aspects of the trip that was not so nice for me to hear about was the fact that he would go for maybe a week or two weeks without taking a bath because there was no means. Of course, there was water in the mountains, but ice-cold water. And you had to be really careful about letting your body get too cold in an environment like that because if you get sick and you're out there on the trail, you might not be within close proximity of somebody to come and help you. And, of course, there were other people who were walking the trail at that time of year. It was pretty pleasant. Uh, but there were times that he would go through uh, snowy areas where he had to be really careful about his, his uh, step, and he had to wear these clamp-on teeth-like things on the bottom of his shoes to get through the ice and the snow. So... Uh, Water is a very is a very uh, ordinary thing for us, and even though we have to pay for it, it's, we really think it's not that much to pay to have all the water we want to use during the day for taking our showers, for washing our plates and stuff, for cleaning our houses. So water is a very very important uh, resource that we have. How about sunlight? Sunlight is a source of what? Of being able to see, first of all, right? Sun produces light, but it also produces heat, doesn't it? And this time of year in Dallas, Texas, we're getting a little more sun than we'd like to have sometimes. And it's going to get more and more difficult to be outside in the hot sun. And yet some people have to work in it. But it's a source of seeing, but it's also a source of healing. Did you know that? That he, that they used to take, before they knew how to deal with what we call TB or tuberculosis, about the only cure that they had for people was to let them lie out on some kind of a, a, an armchair or something in the sun a certain amount of time each day. And the sun could actually cure that tuberculosis. My wife's mother 
as a young girl, as a very young child, had tuberculosis. And so she had to lie out, and of course she was living out in the country so that her grandmother could just take her out and just let her lie completely naked out in the sun. And she eventually got over that tuberculosis. So the sun provides uh, uh, the light for seeing, provides heat for our bodies. It provides uh, uh, healing for our bodies when they get sick. And, of course, it also is necessary for growth, isn't it? Because what plants would grow if they did not have sunlight? Practically impossible. Uh, now, of course, they make uh, ultraviolet lights nowadays. They found a way to do that so that in our Tulsi house, our Tulsi greenhouse, uh, some time of the day when there's not a lot of direct sunlight, such as today, uh, maybe the maybe they'll have these uh, uh, black lights, and we call them black lights or ultraviolet lights, because that's at a frequency that our eyes cannot perceive. Of course, we can see the dark blue or dark purple, but ultraviolet lights are actually in a frequency range that we cannot see with our human eyes. So these are, these are, the, are the, uh, the the kinds of benefits that we get from the sun. Now, there, uh, they, we have we have plants all around us, which are not only a source of our food, but they're also a source of the air that we breathe. Somebody was saying something uh, on the internet the other day about uh, how much more we would appreciate trees if they provided us connections to the internet instead of just the oxygen that we breathe. <laughs> As though oxygen is kind of a, a secondary thing, not such a necessary thing. But the Internet, you know, that's pretty important. So if trees could somehow or other transmit our Internet signals, then maybe people would consider them a lot more valuable than they do now. And But then they also produce building materials, don't they? Sometimes trees are cut down to produce lumber. And that lumber is shipped all over the world, and people are using it to build their houses or build apartments and such. And then there's another thing that we realize that trees are good for here in Dallas, especially these live oak trees that we have around here in some places, but even the pecan trees, and that is shade from the sun. And if you have to be out in the the sun working all day in the direct sunlight, you know it's, it's a real pleasing thing to just go and stand under the tree just to, so that the sun, but the sun is necessary for the trees to to produce um, uh, uh, foodstuffs, isn't it? It produces, helps to produce all of the matter that's that's required for the tree to grow and become larger and larger. And we have trees around here that are maybe hundred years old, two hundred years old, and out west where these giant redwoods and sequoias are, they say some of those trees are up to a thousand years old. So trees are a valuable, valuable resource that Krishna has given us to do with. Now, why do we bring all this up? Because we're talking about the aspects, different aspects of Krishna's creation of this material world and using the objects of that as a, as a means of meditation. So there's a, the Lord has a purpose for all of these elements that he provides for us. We talked about he provi- they provide a means of enjoyment. You know, we have lakes to go out on and swim in or ride in boats. And uh, they, they also provide the water that we use up in Tennessee. Uh, they have water, a lot of mountains up there. And so they will make lakes out of the water that comes down those mountains and streams. 
And if they can dam those streams up and you, and, and with a great big huge concrete dam, they can also put generators in there for generating electricity. And that was the way that power was originally created in this country without the use of animals. Prior to that, animals were the only source of power that we had other than human power. But then, then they found out that falling water or water that's running down a steep hillside can turn a wheel. And that wheel then can be connected by belts and gears, and it can be used for generating electricity. It can be used for grinding corn, grinding wheat, different things like that. And this was before we even had uh, electric generators and motors, that, that these water wheels were sometimes used to do things that would be very, very laborious for human beings. So it provides us a means of enjoyment. It helps to sustain life, all of these elements that Krishna has provided for us. It supplies materials for all of our activities, everything that we do. Look at, look at what the kinds of materials that go into an automobile or to a bus or to a bicycle. You know, there's rubber for the tires, there's steel for the rims and the frame. And, and so all of these kinds of ingredients then are coming from the earth. And we also know that these materials are used to facilitate our worship of the Supreme Lord. So ultimately, everything is intended to be used for worshiping the Supreme Lord. Even the buildings that we create, like this building that we're in now, if you haven't been, those of you are listening in from other parts of the country all around the world, if you haven't been to Dallas, Texas, in the United States of America, you need to come here and see what, Krishna's material energy, his material elements can be used for to create a place in which his deity form, which also, those forms are also coming from elements of the earth. Like we have a beautiful form of Krishna here known as Kalachanji, and his body is made of a very dark granite or, or marble. It's, it's a black type of stone. But of course we know that this, this is no longer just Krishna's material energy. But this, these forms that are on the altar, and Radharani is made of, her body is, is originally made from, it looks like a very pure white marble. And then there are other forms on, on the altar that are made of brass. There are forms that are made of wood. So all of these are coming from Krishna's material energy. Now, how do they differ from Krishna? If Krishna has, has not been invited to come into those forms, then they're, they're nothing more than just material elements. They're part of his material energy. But when a devotee of the Lord says, My dear Lord, we have fashioned this body out of out of materials that that were clay, or even nowadays we have uh, elements that are made uh, from oil, you know, from oil. Like these these, uh, we have one form of little kalachanji on our altar, whose body is made from some polymer, some type of polymer. So we say, well, how can we worship that as God? Because that's nothing more than just a, a piece of polymer resin that has been formed in a certain way and it painted. And why do we say that that's God? Because God himself tells us so. Krishna tells us that if we uh, allow someone who is a skilled artisan to uh, make a form according to certain descriptions that are given in the literatures that come also from God, 
then uh, if a pure devotee asks the Lord to please come and accept our worship in this form, then the Lord is obliged to do so, and he is very happy to come because he knows that this is the kind of activity uh, that we can perform in this world that doesn't bring us bad reactions. And most of our activities are, are causing us to have some kind of reactions, and we call that karma. And those reactions not only cause us to uh, enjoy life, if we're very considered to be very fortunate, we're born in a nice family that has lots of wealth, but it, it can also cause us to have lots of negative reactions. Sometimes our own bodies, which are made of Christian's material energy, and with which we identify so closely, they can be the source of great suffering for us, can't they? Even though we think that they're meant for our pleasure, just like the foods that we eat and taking a nice shower, hot shower on a cold day, those are ways that we enjoy even these material bodies that we are in, encased in. We're, we're like the, the driver in a machine, a big machine that, uh, that does whatever we tell it to do. You know, just like these machines that are used for construction, they can pick up very heavy loads. And you got a man sitting in the cab of one of those machines just pulling levers and pushing pedals. And he's making that machine. So a person who was completely unfamiliar with that would look at that machine from a distance and say, this thing is some kind of creature. It's alive. It's doing all this. It's picking stuff up in one place and putting it over in another place. It's lifting up heavy loads and people. But what they don't know, if, if they're not familiar, is that there's a human being inside. So the same is true with these bodies that we inhabit. They're made of Krishna's material energy, and they can, they can give us so much pleasure. They can also give us so much pain. But the evidence that we're here inside these bodies is the the effects that we have. In other words, we can we can tell our hands to do like this and I'm wiggling my fingers. And and if we if our machine is functioning properly, our fingers will move just because we want them to. We can bat our eyelids and and uh you know flood them. Sometimes you know we might get a little something some pollen or something in our eyes and causes it to itch and and, and so we're batting our eyes. And if we didn't have control of the elements of this body, then there's so many things that we could not do. But Krishna has arranged it very nicely so that we we come into these bodies and we learn things through our senses, such as we were talking about before, and we learn what we can do with these bodies to produce things, to perform meaningful work. So all of these things that we have then can be used in the service of the Lord in one way or another. Of course, we have to go out and earn money to support our our families, don't we? We have some of us have children, some of us have other dependents, wives and husbands. We have to go out and work hard, but the body is meant to enable us to do that. And then the results of that, then if we use the results properly, then. We help others to become conscious of who we actually are and to become conscious of who this personality on the altar is. And so once we understand who we are and who that person is on the altar, who those personalities are that are on the altar, then we're beginning to understand what Krishna's material energy is intended for. And so we begin, we can then use that, use that energy to meditate 
on the things that are really meaningful in life. So we use these elements of creation as a means of glorifying the Lord. And the ways that we're doing this, some of the ways that we're doing it, is that we take only the essentials for our comfortable maintenance. In other words, uh, if, if, we, if we are actually in God consciousness, we don't overdo we, uh, just to make these bodies satisfied and happy. We make ourselves a comfortable place for ourselves and our families to live. We provide foods, but then we don't spend thousands and even millions of dollars each year just to make this, this body a comfortable place to be. We don't spend excessive amounts of money um, uh, in, in the place that we live in. And if we do have the means to have a decent place to live, that has enough room, then we can invite other people to come in and we can also help them to enjoy eating nice foodstuffs. We can engage them in singing songs that are in praise of the Supreme Lord. In other words, we're using whatever we have in service of the Lord. Uh, there's a problem that we have, especially in the Western countries, and that is distributing the wealth and and, and instead... Uh, it, it's being hoarded. So we understand to, that today in today's world, there are certain persons that have a lot more money than is required for keeping these bodies in, in good shape and, you know, make, keeping them comfortable. Uh, whereas it might take one person $10,000 a year to live, uh, another person might have $10 million a month to live on. And there are persons that have even more money than that. So this this wealth that we have is not being properly distributed. Instead, we can help other people uh, with the intended use of our resources. And the use of resources that we have are intended not only to provide ourselves comfort and pleasure, not only to provide ourselves the means to worship the Lord, but also the means to for others to be engaged in performing good, wholesome beneficial activities on this planet. In other words, not something that's going to hurt other people or hurt the environment. And they can be used also to engage other people in learning to worship the Supreme Lord. And it's very nice when we go to the homes of some people who occasionally around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Sometimes we're invited into the homes and they have a nice gathering with several of their friends there. They make something nice to eat. And then, uh, then we sing and we talk about the Supreme Lord. And what does that do? That helps us to remember the Lord so that by the time that we get ready to leave our bodies, we have come into contact with someone who knows the ultimate purpose of all the materials and all the activities that we have at our disposal. So it, it is in this way then that we see that there are many different aspects of Krishna's creation that can be used as objects of meditation. And so it it is beneficial to us. It is beneficial to whomever we come into contact with. If we can help train them then on the proper use of whatever materials come into their possession. And as a result of that then, uh, then everybody becomes more happy Everybody becomes more healthy, and everybody learns what the purpose of this human life is for. And that is to use everything that is at our our disposal for the worship of the Supreme Lord. And that's all I've got to say about that. Hare Krishna.
Are there any questions or comments that anybody would like to make now? Yes, Shakshi Gopal Prabhu. Now, Shakti Gopal has has uh, given us an indication that um, he has he has heard the verses that we are have been reading, uh, the three verses that we read for today, and it's talking about different representations. So, Shakti's question is: Are we to accept these as literal interpretations or literal meanings? For example, the the text number six that we read today it begins with this this uh, sentence. This is the representation of the Supreme Lord as a universal person in which the earth is his feet, the sky is his navel, the sun is eye. So that would make it seem, Shakshi, that uh, the Supreme Lord is not really a person as we know a person, but we, we can only just think about him as the earth being the feet of the Lord. And that sounds like just a kind of, kind of a, a, a symbolic representation, doesn't it? But we know that Krishna also has his own personal form, his spiritual form. And we see that in the form of the deities on the altar. So it's not that there, well, I had a Methodist preacher one time tell me, Shakshi, that uh, he had heard someone say that God is an oblong purple cloud. (laughs) Which is a very impersonal way of looking at the Supreme Lord, isn't it? But, you know, in most other religious practices, there are no descriptions of the Supreme Lord. So the, I think that, that according to this verse and according to the report we've read today, these are like symbolic representations of the Supreme Lord. But, of course, we know that the earth and the clouds and that water and everything about us is actually coming from the body of Krishna. So if we can't if we can't uh, focus on Krishna in his deity form, or we think that there's something more to Krishna than just this personal form that we're looking at. In other words, the two-handed form. He looks like a, a human being, doesn't he? But he and he is that. He is a human being. He has the form of human being, but he is much much more than the human beings that we are. Or the, with the human bodies that we associate ourselves with, right? Okay, so um, does that kind of give you an idea? It, we can say that it's, these words are symbolic, and they're, but uh, according to the purport, uh, this, the, thus they are considered non-different. We're talking about all the ingredients of the material creation. And the end of the purport here, Thus they are considered non-different from him as described in this verse, which is meant for meditation. So these, these, uh, these very elaborate um, descriptions of the material energy of the Lord, we can think of the Lord in terms of those. But we also realize, Shakshi, don't we, that Krishna is a person. He's a person. He's always a person. He's always been a person. And there's never going to be a time when he's not a person. And he tells us the same thing in Bhagavad Gita about ourselves. Now, he, he says, never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all of these kings present on the battlefield. Nor at any time in the future will we cease to exist. So even though we may give up these human bodies that we have, 
And of course, as, as we get older, then we get closer and closer to the point of, of realizing that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be around for that much longer. And so some people get really scared with that idea because to them, you know, death is something that is very fearful to them. And we just had the whole Gurukula enter the temple room now. And there's a bunch of young human bodies that I'm seeing sitting on the floor around. And, and so, uh, you know, death is not something that these young people, Shakshi, are able to contemplate so much as a person like you who are now in, have you reached 20 yet? Yeah, he's 20. Okay, very good. So by the time you get to be 20 years old, then if you've heard enough philosophy being presented in this temple room, then you can come to the understanding that, no, I am not this stuff that I'm looking at in the mirror. This is not who I am. I am the person who is looking through these eyes, but if these eyes are not functioning properly, I'm not going to be able to see this thing that I used to call myself. Right? When the eyes don't work properly, you cannot see this body, even though you've got a mirror right in front of you. So we, we come to the understanding then, boys and girls, that we are not made of this stuff right here, but rather we're the spirit person, the spiritual person inside these bodies. And so the, 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 what we've been concentrating on in this verse today, these three verses, is that Krishna is represented by different aspects of his material nature. He's talking about like the clouds being the hair, and uh, you know, the hair on the head of the Supreme Lord, and the trees being the hair on his body. And of course, we, we know that that would be a very strange-looking person that, that had clouds for hair and had trees on his body forming the hair of his body. Uh, but we understand that all of these are part of Krishna's material energy, and just like these bodies that we're in now, uh, they're, they're subject to change. They're always changing. And so when it comes to the, uh, to the time for us to depart from this world, then we have to give up these bodies. And what do they turn into? Dirt. You take a human body. Well, you take an animal. Take an animal body like a dog or a cat. And, you know, they get hit on the street, get run over, and, and the spirit soul is gone from that body. But if you take that, you take that little body and you, and you dig a hole in the earth and you bury it and you come back a year later, you might find a bone or two or some teeth. And if you come back 10 years, it's not likely you're going to find anything. Because all the elements that made up that body of that dog or cat, that's just like the elements that make up these bodies. If we took these bodies and just th- threw them out into the forest whenever we left them, they would just turn right back into the elements that they came from. That's dirt. And how do, how do they get to be these bodies? Because our mothers, when we were still inside our mothers' bodies, we had not come out yet. There's a, there's a little cord called an umbilical cord, and it provided all the nutrients that from the food that our mothers ate. And that's what makes up our bodies, and our bodies continue to grow and grow inside our mothers' bodies until we have to eventually come out. And then we start eating foods that are also coming from the dirt, Right? So we can say that these bodies are nothing more than a transformation of dirt. How about that? Are you proud of your body now? Are you proud of your pretty hair? (laughs) It's coming from the dirt, my friends. And whenever you get done with this body at the end of your lifetime, it's going to turn back into dirt. But Krishna, on the other hand, uh, even though some of these elements 
that uh, his bodies are made of, they might they might not last forever. You know, there's, there's called temporary deity forms and there's permanent deity forms. Some of these deity forms on the altar are permanent. Lord Juggernaut's body is made of wood. So we can say that unless it's properly taken care of, you know, it will eventually turn back into dirt. But while it's here with us, then the pure devotee of the Lord has asked Krishna to come and be in these bodies, these different forms that we see on the altar. And Krishna agrees to do that because he knows that as human beings, in order to perfect our lives, we need to learn to think about these forms as being the Supreme Lord himself. And if we're thinking about that at the time of death, guess where we go? We go back to wherever Krishna is. That sounds like a pretty good plan. We don't have to come back into this world, take another body, and become like, you've seen my, my daughter, Garangalila's single little baby, Luca. Have you seen that kid? He's just a squirmy little thing about like that. And so uh, he's, he eventually will continue growing, if, he, if, if Krishna permits, he can continue growing into, but then he also has to learn things. And so it's going to be up to you guys to teach him what he needs to know. That you're not just this body, you're, you know, you're functioning with it, but you're not the body. You're actually a, a servant of the Supreme Lord. And you're going to have to give up this body sooner or later. And where do you want to go when you give up this body? You want to come back and take another body of a squirmy little baby like that? That somebody has to clean up every day and stuff? And you have to wait until you get to be two or three, four years old before you start really knowing anything at all? I don't think many of us would want to do that again, would we? If you do, something, something's wrong with your head. You need to check that out. All right, are there any other questions or comments? In Thank you very much, Shakti, for your question. Any other questions, comments, anyone would like to pose at this time? I'm sorry, your voice is very soft. Would you hand the microphone, please, to Mother Gopikita? It's not your fault. It's You're dealing with an old body. These students are taking the ITBS test today. If you can give them your blessing. Uh, give them, uh, what kind of test is that? ITBS. Our, our Gurukulis are, are taking a, a test today. And this is going to judge what? What's the test intended to show? How smart they are? All right, so um, guys, you gotta you gotta gotta take this test. You know, you gotta do it, and you got a lot more tests to take before you're done with this lifetime. It'd be a lot of tests, a lot harder than taking this ITBS test that you're going to be taking today. So anyhow, uh, uh, don't don't sweat it too much. In other words, don't 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 worry about it too much. Do the best you can. And you know what they say, all you can do is all you can do. But all you can do is enough. So anyhow, try try hard, do the best you can on the test, and then don't worry about the results. Krishna will give you whatever results you do. How's that? Is that a good enough blessing, Mother Gopi Gita? Bhagavatam ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Shishi Radha Kalachanjidam ki jai. We offer our respectful obeisances to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord, who just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone, and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. 